What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Joe Kilgallen Podcast, aka Kilgallen's Pub. I'm your host, stand-up comedian extraordinaire Joseph Matthew Kilgallen. I give you the full name. That's how I'm feeling right now. Feeling pretty good. Feeling shitty earlier, but feeling pretty good right now. It is a Monday evening, and you will be listening to this maybe early Tuesday, maybe on your way to work. Maybe you throw me on on your commute to work. Do you take the train? Do you drive your automobile? Do you walk? Walking's got to be nice. Imagine walking to work. Imagine living so close to where you work, you just take a nice little stroll. That's the, that's the dream right there, right? The best commute is no commute. Do you work at home? I think that's a pretty good deal. Are, are people still doing the work at home thing? I don't mean to say a thing like it was a fad. I, I, I think it was good. Why not work at home? As long as you're productive, who gives a shit, right? The only qualm I had, not even a qualm, but the worry was that these businesses were going to say to themselves, hey, we don't need a 10,000 square foot offices in these big high rises. So let's just get something smaller, one big conference room, couple offices, and everyone else works from home. You know, we train people in that room. We have big meetings in this room, and that's all you need, right? We don't even need separate bathrooms. We'll just do one of those his and hers, you know, or they and thems. Let's 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 be cautious of 2022 talk. It's almost 2023. Holy shit. I just thought of that. Anyway, uh, let's get on track here, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, first-time listeners. I'm a stand-up comedian, perform all across the country, based out of Chicago, the best city in America, maybe the world. No, nah, I don't know. I haven't been around the world too often, but I like it here. Uh, people say it's violent. I say good because sometimes you got to shoot a motherfucker in the face. I like to live in a city in which people do that from time to time just to let everyone else know, hey, we mean it here, okay? We mean it. That's why I view it. But I always like to start off every episode of the Joe Kill Gallon podcast with a little bit of gratitude. So shout out to all the Patreon subscribers. You guys are the best. If you are interested, it is patreon.com slash Joe Kill Gallon. I also, I just recently hooked up uh, my man, Manuel Rodriguez, with a couple uh, of tickets to see me. I was performing at the Improv out in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so I was with my guy, Steve Byrne. But first, more thank yous. Thanks to all the listeners. Thanks to everyone who watches the YouTube channel. Um, been doing some cool stuff with it lately. I've switched it up when I post the podcast on YouTube. I take like a highlight from the podcast and I throw it at the beginning to entice random people to stick around and watch a little bit further because your watch time is very important on YouTube with the analytics. I guess uh, that helps the algorithm. If someone watches the whole thing, people go, oh, this must be really good. They show it to more people. It helps Big Joseph over here. You know what I mean? So, um, yes, I was in um, Schaumburg, Illinois. I was featuring for my buddy Steve Byrne. Shout out to Luca Farrow and uh, Jason Seiler, who are both uh, opening as well. Did a great job emceeing, and I had a blast. I had an absolute blast. Um, it was, you know, Thanksgiving weekend can be tough. People are all turkeyed out, and then they they hit the, the mall shopping. But I had a good time with it. I had a great time with it. I was feeling the Christmas spirit, listening to Christmas music, The my drive there. It's not that far of a drive for me to get out to Schaumburg, but... Uh, let me say this, Paul McCartney, easily one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Probably if, if someone you knew said Paul McCartney is the greatest songwriter of all time, you'd be hard pressed to argue that 
he might be the goat of songwriting. The man wrote yesterday, let it be. Hey Jude, can't buy me love. I mean, uh, dozens of songs. Those those might even be his best ones. Although yesterday and let it be are probably the long and winding road he wrote. Um, shit, I mean, looking through you. How many be Eleanor Rigby, Penny Lane, like so many hits this guy wrote. And yet he wrote the worst Christmas song of all time in simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Damn it, Paul. What was going on there, man? There's no way he looks back on that fondly. And look, it's one thing to write the worst Christmas song of all time or one of. It's another thing that these goddamn Christmas stations feel the need to play it. They're always playing it. Why are you fucking playing it? I bet Paul McCartney would be shocked at how often American radio stations play the song Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time. If you have not heard it, don't even do yourself a favor. Just trust me. It's garbage. I don't I don't know. I think maybe he thought, you know, John had written a Christmas song called uh, War is Over, Happy Christmas, which I like. Pretty good tune. Not one you'd sing along with at a party or anything like that, but it, it's, it's good. It's solid. It's got good music to it, at least. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time just sounds like something the guy you went to high school with who thinks he can make it as a musician would write, you know? Because it's got like these weird like keyboardy sounds, like real like early 80s. I got to find out when he wrote that piece of shit because that would explain a lot. All right. Simply. Let's see if it'll come up if I just type in simply having. There we go. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Um, Paul McCartney. I don't trust me. I do not want to. Yeah. Wrote in 1980. No, wait, hold on. It was McCartney's first solo single in over eight years since Eat at Home in 71. Wonderful Christmas time is charted within the top 10 in Austria, Germany, Ireland, Latvia, the Netherlands, United Kingdom. <sighs> okay. Composition by some critics is a popular song during Christmas in the cover, blah, 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 blah. Do they not think it's garbage, though? Is there not anyone out there who thinks this is just a trash reception and legacy? Or, All right. Let's see. Yeah, it says Wonderful Christmas Time continues to receive substantial annual festive airplay, although some music critics consider it to be one of McCartney's most mediocre compositions. Beatle author Robert Rodriguez has written Wonderful Christmas Time, Love It or Hate It, few songs within the McCartney Orver, I don't know that word, have provoked such strong reactions. Including royalties from cover versions, it is estimated in 2010 that McCartney makes $400,000 a year from this song, which puts its cumulative earnings at over $15 million. Fuck the universe are you kidding me that piece of shit makes four hundred thousand dollars a year hot christ on a bike life is not fair it's not fair i don't care that paul mccartney's a billionaire which i think he is now that guy again has written some of the greatest songs in the history of the world but that piece of shit song should not be making more than i've made in the last eight years that is garbage dude fucking 400k $400,000 a year for simply having <laughs> Did I sing that bad on purpose? Sure, but I'm not that far off. <sighs> what are we doing? What are we doing in the world? He should donate all of that. Paul McCartney should donate every penny he makes from simply having a wonderful time to the hearing impaired. He should be doing that. That's who it should go to. It should go to a cure for deafness. Because fuck do I wish I couldn't hear sometimes after hearing that song. It blows my mind. It blows my mind 
how um, that guy could go from writing um and i love her and um fucking like so many great tunes so many great tunes um what are some of the best songs um drive my car he wrote drive my car he wrote i mean the list goes on and on he wrote um baby i'm amazed that song is fantastic what was the one song that was a bond song that he wrote in the early 70s live and let die fucking killer track and yet he wrote simply having a wonderful christmas time i know you guys listening are like joe we get it but fuck man i just don't you know, though, as a comedian, I've got some dud jokes, I'm sure. Maybe there's someone out there who's thinking, I can't believe this guy wrote six minutes, six minute joke about oral sex. And yet he also wrote a minute and a half joke about no, none of my jokes compare. There's nothing that is that bad I've ever said that compares to simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I don't know. Another song I don't like around Christmas time is the Charlie Brown theme that that gets played because it's just an instrumental. I like the theme when I'm watching Charlie Brown Christmas specials or his Thanksgiving special, but I don't like it in in regards to it being played on Christmas music station. I don't know. I don't know. I like I, I like this time of year. It's festive. Everything's lit up. It feels good. Um, but that song really irked me. But I did have a great run of shows. Did five shows at the Improv. The Improv is a chain of comedy clubs all across America, but it's stand-up. But it's called the Improv, which confuses people to no end. What another cool thing I did? Also, Steve Byrne, everyone, great comedian. He has a special dropping this Friday that'll be on Amazon Prime. Check it out. He's doing a really cool thing with it. I respect Steve as a comedian, as a person, but as a comedian more so because he's always looking to change it up, always looking to do different things. I, as a comedian, am not there yet. I look to do different things in the regard of what subject matter, or yeah what subjects I explore on stage. Um, but as far as sty stylistically, I'm still the same guy up there. So I really respect what he's doing. What uh, This hour that's coming out, this special that's coming out, could be longer than an hour, who knows? It's called The Last Late Night. And he does kind of like a late night, like monologue jokes. Then he does like storytelling and then like some straight stand-up as well. He kind of really mixes it up. There's a band on stage. Uh, you know, he puts in... An A plus performance every time, throws in some showmanship. Steve's a guy that always dresses the part, which again, tons of respect for. He and I went to go see the movie Glass Onion, which is a sequel to Knives Out, but not a sequel in the sense that it's the same. Other than Daniel Craig's character, uh, there's no other character from the movie Knives Out. It's basically, you know, he's like the world's greatest detective, and he it's a new case for him essentially. And it's a star-studded cast: Ed Norton, Kate Hudson. Uh, who else am I missing here? A few other names I just don't know that well. Oh my guy, uh, Dave Batista, who plays uh, Drax and the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's a professional wrestler. He he kicks ass. Um, yeah, top to bottom, really great movie. I was a big fan. What's crazy is I didn't see Knives Out. I didn't see it. So Steve hit me up, being like, "Hey, you want to go check out this movie?" And I saw the preview and I liked it. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't see Knives Out. Will I be lost? I was not lost. Because, again, it was a completely different thing. And I like that because now this, they could keep going with more and more movies like this. I like a good mystery. I like mysteries as books. And I like them in movies. And, I've, and they're just a fun theater experience. And it was a really kick-ass uh, movie. And I highly suggest it to everyone. Uh, I don't want to give too much away. But 
if you're wise to what's going on in the world right now, in particular, hint, hint with uh, Twitter, you will see what they were going for with a certain character. And it's amazing, though, because, again, they wrote this movie like 18 months ago, filmed it nine months ago or a year ago. So for it to come out now and, and to feel insanely relevant, it's pretty incredible. It really is. So uh, go see it. Glass Onion. Joe Kilgallen gives it four stars. All right. Um, speaking of Twitter, Elon Musk says he wants, he's thinking about making it from 280 characters to a thousand characters. Remember when it was 140? That was a challenge of it back then. That's why I was never that good on Twitter. I never really loved it that much because my style of jokes, I couldn't fit in 140 characters. That just wasn't the way I did them. And then they went to 280 characters and I did better, but I still never, Twitter's thing is you have to find a niche. When I started tweeting more and more about sports, the, my Chicago Cubs in particular, I started to get way more response to my tweets. If I had a good Cubs tweet, it would go viral in Cubs Twitter, meaning like a thousand retweets or a thousand likes or something like that, or 500, who knows. But as far as stand-up goes and comedy, I would do well here or there, and people would like the tweets, but I never got the following. That's what would kill me. I'd have a tweet do insane numbers, and I'd get like four new followers from it. And it's probably because those people would go to my profile and be like, oh, this guy tweets about all sorts of shit. I want, you know, people who use Twitter for entertainment purposes kind of, I think they like to diversify who they follow, which makes a lot of sense. You know, if I wasn't in the world of stand-up comedy and wasn't a person who needed social media for my job, I think I would kind of do it that way too. I would look at it like, oh, this is just something I fuck around with here or there. But I, was, I wouldn't be someone who's, you know, I see these people all the time. They like my stuff. They never tweet themselves though, but they go on and they just scroll. And they're like, oh, that's fucking cool. That's fucking cool. You know, so they probably like to spread out who they follow just to keep their timeline cleanish, I guess. Keep it fun for them. Something to think about. But a thousand, Elon, a thousand, that's dumb. Don't do that. Don't do it. It's like people write essays. Fucking essay. Each tweet's gonna be like an essay, be multiple paragraphs, or am I gonna have to click more if I like it? And then based on that, if you don't get enough click more, like you know, read on more, they're gonna bury your shit and you're gonna see less and less of the people you do like. I don't know. I just I, I think the guy's just a fucking moron. I think he wanted Twitter so badly that he paid what they say it's like he paid like 40 billion, and most people had it like valued at like maybe 10 billion. So he paid four times the number, which means he's going to want that investment back quickly because he probably got a lot of a lot of it financed. Hurt his hurt his Tesla stock. It just did. I don't know. A lot of this was just. I feel like the internet goaded him into a pissing contest to be like, "Oh, you think you're hot shit? You think you could? You have power and influence?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to buy Twitter," because those dudes, the Musks, the the Trumps. Um, you know, a handful of other dudes out there, they, they're, they're fans of Twitter. Their reality is in Twitter. And the fact that Trump got banned from Twitter, which they made it clear though, they made it clear before that they were like, Hey, we're not gonna have you lying every fucking day on here. And so then they got to the point where like, nah, get rid of it, get rid of him. And that pissed a lot of people off and maybe rightfully so maybe they shouldn't have the power to boot someone especially the president. So I get, I get where they're coming from there. And it does make you think, do, does it get to a point where a platform gets so big 
that it's like we got to break this shit up. It shouldn't have this much power and influence over people. And then, but then, then you get into the tricky area. Was like, well, who the fuck is the government to say that a platform can't get as big as it wants to get? It's tricky. It is tricky because you know, in in one regard, the government should protect people from certain self harms, and if something's being used as a tool of propaganda and interfering with elections and all sorts of things like that, then yeah, maybe it needs to go away. I don't think it's made the world any better. I think celebrities took to it fast because it was their way of doing their own little press releases. You know, Facebook had the thing where you could have as many friends up to 5,000, right? And then they tried to do their Facebook page thing, but Twitter was smart to just kind of like say, hey, real quick, make them short and sweet. You could have as many followers as possible. You could follow people. You don't have to follow them back because with Facebook, you accept a friend request. It's mutual. So that's why you're like, you know, if you're some celebrity, you're like, I don't want to. So they, they friend me and I have to see their bullshit too. I don't want to do it that way. But Twitter was nice. Cause it's like, Oh, you follow me, but I don't have to hear about you. So that's why. And that's where Twitter got so popular so fast. Sorry. I had to take a sip. All right. Let's switch, switch gears here. Cause I, I go off on social media too much and we all got to admit it's, it gets a little bit boring. Although I did see this, this was interesting to me today. Um, I saw this on Twitter. Americans, they it says they overestimate, um, like the here they showed a graphic, and the graphic says Americans overestimate the size of minority groups and underestimate the size of most majority groups. Estimated proportions are calculated by averaging weighted responses ranging from zero to one hundred percent, rounded to the nearest whole percentage to the question. If you had to guess what percentage of American adults, blah, 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 true proportions were drawn from a variety of sources, including the U.S. Census Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and polls by YouGov and other polling firms. All right, here's a few. How much, what percentage, they ask Americans, what percentage of households have over $1 million, have income over $1 million? The estimated proportion was 20%. The American, the, the average American believes 20% of American households have over a million dollars. The number is closer to 0%. It's obviously more than 0%, but it's less than 1%. It's like 0.5% of the American population has a household income of north of $1 million. Goes to show you. And I know it's one only 1% makes more than 250000 That's why when you know certain people are running for office, they go, we're just going to raise the taxes on the 1%. And the problem with that, though, is they hear taxes over $250,000 and they think, hey, if I pull my cards right, I can make over $250,000. And that doesn't dawn on them that 99% of people won't get their taxes raised. That's another debate for other shit. Anyhow, let's see. What percentage of America lives in New York City? They think 30% of America lives in New York City. These fucking idiots. It's 3%. What percentage of Americans are Jewish? Americans believe. 30% of the population is Jewish. Do you know what percentage of the population is Jewish? Two, 2%. Here's another one. Are Muslim? It's about 1%. These idiots think it's over 25%. Uh, What percentage are gay or lesbian? They think 30% of the population is gay or lesbian. The answer is actually 3%. I thought it was a little higher than 3%. I would have guessed close to 10%, but yeah, they're just... This doesn't surprise me, though. It really doesn't, because I talk to a lot of people and the shit that comes out of their mouth, and this is not political. This is the left and the right. 
I, I remember getting like not arguments, but just talking like random shit with people about like diversity. And I had to say like, wait, real quick, what percentage of the American population do you think is African American? And they were like, I don't know, 35, 40%. I'm like, no, it's, it's 12, it's 12%. Um, I only bring that up because you said that half the role should be African American and that'd be 50%. And, um, I just had to ask why you thought it should be 50%. And you think that because they're 40% of the population, they should get 50%. So even, so even if you're, you know, saying let, let's give them more because of the horrible history. Okay, fine. But you're still way the fuck off. Also then what percentage of the role should you see? That's the thing. When you get into quotas for shit, it makes it where it's like, how about we just tell everyone's story and we try to do it that way. And cause that's what I always thought. I'm like, when we'd be better off and I can't wait one day, we will get there. We will get to a place in society where it really is about who did the best. Do you remember a few years back when everyone was saying like, oh, all the Oscar nominees were white. It was all white men nominated for best actor. That's bullshit. And then I'm like, well, I mean, what if the five best performances just happened to be white guys? And then next year, all five nominees were black guys. Would you think that was wrong? I doubt it. I think just let's give it to the five best people. And yeah, of course, I think representation is important and all that. So maybe, though, whoever decides who's nominated that group of people, we should push for diversity there. Push for diversity in who's in charge in like that in that capacity. You know what I mean? Um, give an opportunity, more opportunity to people, and then they, all this shit will balance out, and then we can get to a point where it really is just about who's who's the best at that particular job. That's that's the fantasy world I want to live in one day, and I think most people do. Um, I think the only people who don't are. I don't know. I don't know who would. I don't know who would want to be against that. Um, because if it's if we're coming from a place of honesty, then that's all that matters. You know, like in, in the NF the NBA, the NBA is what 83% African American players. I never hear anyone saying, like, oh, we need more white players in the NBA. No, because we we just want the best NBA players. Now I get that it acting is a performance that's interpreted. You know, so I might think, oh, that guy was fucking awesome. You might think I thought they sucked ass. So that's that's where it gets a little bit different. Where in basketball, it's like, well, the guy who dropped 30 points is clearly amazing. And the guy who dropped six sucks. So there you go. So I guess that's not the best comparison in the world, but it is something to think about, you know. I don't, but nothing's a meritocracy um, except sports. And I think that's what frustrates me as a comedian sometimes is because in sports, it's not even hundred percent of meritocracy because we all know coaches play favorites and things like that. But for the most part in sports, if a baseball player goes four for four with two doubles and two home runs, everyone's going to acknowledge that that guy was awesome. Where in comedy and music and acting, we've seen people give out killer performances and get overlooked for a plethora of dumbass reasons, you know? Um, and I remember talking about this with a couple of my comedian friends recently, but like what's in and we were getting a little heated during the argument. It wasn't even an argument, it was a discussion. Because my one buddy was like, oh, well, they got what's in now, and that's what's in. And I'm like, what well, in with who, right? And then he was like, with the industry. And I go, okay, that's fair, and I agree with you. That style of comedy that X, Y, and Z is doing is very popular with the industry. But you know who it's not popular with? The fucking general public. And that was the thing that was funny because once we realized we all had different talking points, it's like, oh, yeah, you're right about that. The general public doesn't give a shit about that style. 
but I'm right that the industry does. I'm like, yeah, so, but I care more about what the public thinks and I wish the industry did. And I think that's why Americans have been frustrated over the last, however many, what, about 10 years now, frustration between like the me the news media separate than the media media. Cause there's, you know, movies and radio and television. That's those are all considered forms of media. But I think nowadays when people think media, they think Fox, MSNBC, CNN, they think the news media and that's the killer too, is the news media I always thought was shit. But now people think they're shit for the different and wrong reasons too. Where any, you know, tr like the Trump administration had it where any question that was a little difficult, it was like, bye, fuck you, you hate this White House. <laughs> it's like, that. all right, look, there's a lot of things that are bad, but when they ask you a genuine question that you just don't like the tone of, eh, you're a little soft. You're a little soft there, you know? Oh, speaking of soft, I was thinking about, this has got to stop. Why are we always sharing videos of people um, punching each other in the head and it goes on for too long. Have you guys seen this? That's the new thing I'm seeing all the time. Whenever I log in to Twitter, uh, Instagram a little bit too, but mostly Twitter, it's fights. All these fucking fight videos and modern fights, nobody breaks them up because everyone's taking out their phone. And I'm like, someone's going to die. You guys got to stop this shit. Know when to end a fight. I'm a psycho who's been in a lot of fights, but I always know when someone's had enough. And that's what frightens me nowadays. I don't know what it is. I don't know. There's rising anger where people just don't know when to end it. And then we need to talk about the definition of what is and what isn't a sucker punch. A sucker punch, most people think it's when you hit someone from behind because that's clear as day. But there's other forms of sucker punches. A sucker punch could be you just don't expect that shit coming at all. You know, say you're like in a little bit of an argument with someone but it doesn't seem all that escalated and all of a sudden, bam, they pop you right in the head. That's, that's a little bit of a sucker punch. I'll give you an example. I don't know who they are. I'll try to look it up and maybe I'll, I'll tweet the link out or the video. It was, I think it was some rap video or something or, or some rappers podcast. Cause this one dude was in the middle and he was talking shit about how awesome he is and how like, you know, none of y'all could fuck with me and all that kind of stuff. And so he's a guest on this podcast. And the one dude, the one host was kind of like, all right. But this other host was like, dude, you ain't shit, man. I'm fucking, I've done better than you in this and this and this. And then they call him a bitch. And the guy's like, you call me a bitch. And he's like, yeah, I called you a bitch. The dude got up and just started popping the guy like clean, right crosses right to the mouth and the, and his eye, like busting him open there. People did come on pretty quickly to break that up because they're, they're also thinking it's a lot of equipment here. That's very expensive. His host, though, the co-host didn't really jump up to help all that quickly. But someone, all these people were commenting, like, that's what you get for calling someone a bitch. You're going to call someone a bitch and just sit there as you get punched in the fucking mouth. Then some people said, ah, kind of a sucker punch. I kind of feel like maybe it was a sucker punch, too. I think these are two guys running their mouth on a podcast, and the other one didn't think he was going to get popped in the head a bunch. To me, I think it's a bitch move if someone calls you a bitch and you respond by attacking them. It's kind of, it kind of makes you look like a little bitch because if you're a real tough guy and someone's calling you a bitch, you would want to square up with them. You'd want to say, all right, you think I'm a bitch? Let's go outside and find out. No, seriously, let's go outside and find out. That's the, that's the tough guy move right there. The non-bitch move is the challenge. A bitch, oh, you're calling me a bitch and you just start fucking popping the guy before he even realizes, oh shit, we're fighting, you know, because if you just throw a punch, 
even if the guy's looking at you, it still borders on a sucker punch because there's no indication that it's about to get physical. That's why a real badass move, someone with real, like a real ballsy baller, right? He would be like, oh, I'm, I'm the bitch. All right, well, we could go outside and we could figure out who's the, who's the bigger bitch between me and you. You want you want to go outside and talk about it? Figure it out? No, come on, man up. Let's go. Seriously, let's go. Put your coat on. Let's go. You know, like that's, but he didn't do that. He went and just started hitting the guy. I get losing your temper, but eh, he was wrong there. I think it's, a, here's another reason why it's cooler to do it where you challenge the person to a fight. If they don't take the challenge, they look even worse. They look even worse. Now, the dude who called him a bitch that, that got his face all bloodied up, he has something to fall back on. He could say, dude, I call, he was talking, he was running his mouth. I go, dude, you're a bitch. And then all of a sudden he just started fucking hitting me. Dude, I got headphones on. I got an expensive microphone in my face. I, I was like, what the fuck's going on? I didn't even realize it. You know what I mean? He didn't knock me out. And he could have easily. I was sitting here not respected or not expecting it. Fuck that guy, right? He still has something to say. But that guy goes, oh, you're going to call me a bitch? Let's go outside and find out. Now, me versus you, man. One-on-one. Do it old school. Your boys make sure no one jumps in. My boys make sure no one jumps in. Let's go. Come on, right now. Right now, let's go. And if the dude says no, then he is done. He's a pussy, right? That's how you solve that. All right. That is going to be the podcast for this week, Monday, November 28th. We got December rolling through. Going to have some fun episodes. Going to talk about the holidays, Christmas and Hanukkah, and some good gift-giving ideas. Share with you some favorite Christmas memories, Christmas movies, of course. A lot of good stuff. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you guys did too. I didn't check in with you on your Thanksgiving. I hope it was great. I had a wonderful time visiting family. Um, it was hard this year, of course, with my dad not being around. Um, he passed away. In case you're listening for the first time, you didn't just walk out of my life. Um, and he loved Thanksgiving. He really did. But it, it was great. Played football. Ate a lot of turkey and pie. By the way, for the people who trash turkey, do you not have gravy? I keep hearing these people be like, turkey, most overrated. Thanksgiving turkey is the most overrated part of the Thanksgiving meal. It's so dry. Sorry, you guys don't know how to cook turkey. And if it's dry, you you drown that shit in gravy. That's what I've always done with my Thanksgiving plate. Here's what I do. Got my plate, right? Get my turkey. A lot of it. Breast meat, of course. You know, pile it up. Looking good. I'm a big fan of crescent rolls. Two crescent rolls right on there. Mashed potatoes. Load it the fuck up with the mashed peas. Then there was uh, cream corn this year, which was different. I was I was a fan of that, though. Nice. Stuffing, I also like a lot. And then what dish am I missing? I think I hit it all right there, right? Then I take the gravy, and I don't use the ladle. I grab the thing, the whole whatever you call it, and I just drown that fucker. Oh, gravy on everything. And it is mwah, fantastic. Then afterwards, I get a two plates. Always got to finish two plates before dessert. Otherwise, you regret it. You do. You regret it. You ever have that? You ever have it where you're starving one day? I remember one Thanksgiving. It was like I only did like a plate and a half, and I felt full. I didn't power through. I'm like, you know what, Joe? Plate and a half is good enough. And you know, I had some cousins making fun of me. They were like, oh, look who's gotten weak. And I'm like, I don't want to overdo it. I remember a week later, I was somewhere, and I was starving. And I thought back to, you know what, dude? You had an opportunity to eat so much food that day and you didn't take advantage. Do you ever have that when you're really, really hungry and you think back to a time when there was tons of free food and you just were like weak about it, you know, 
You were just like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I always want to go back to those moments and be like, I'd rather stuff my face. But I, I finished two plates. Then I go apple pie, pumpkin pie. And then sometimes there's cookies and brownies out there. This year we had a Portillo's chocolate cake. Oh, baby. It was a great time. Love Thanksgiving. And I kept the night off by watching the best Thanksgiving movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, starring Steve Martin and the late, great John Candy, written by the late, great John Hughes. That movie is damn near perfect. It really is. It's about a two unlikely people coming together on a traveling nightmare. They flies from New York, who's supposed to be to Chicago, but gets delayed and rerouted. They have to take trains and automobiles in addition to the plane. And it's just, it's funny and it's got a lot of heart. And John Candy's performance, and he should have been nominated. He should have been nominated. And John Hughes' screenplay is flawless. And I know they just released a 4K edition Blu-ray where they have like 90 minutes of deleted scenes because John Candy was so amazing. They just let him go and he improvised all this funny stuff. I saw one scene going around the internet where he's eating a hot dog and smoking a cigarette at the same time. And it's just like gross, but hysterical. Damn it. That's such a good movie. Such a good movie. And and yeah, the heart in it really is perfect. Some movies, though, when I watch them now as I'm getting older, it just makes me a little bit sadder because I know I'm getting farther and farther from when that movie was made. I know. So you guys got to like. It's a movie that makes you want to be good to people and go out of your way to help people, too. So hopefully you guys can take that this holiday season. I'll be talking to you uh, next week and uh, throughout the month of December. And then we're going to kick some kick some major ass in 2023, aren't we? All of us kicking ass. 2023. It's our year. All right. Thanks for listening to the Joe Kilgallen podcast, a.k.a. Kilgallen's Pub. Cheers.